This is The Professional, a new podcast brought to you by ProfMed. Understanding that the professional of tomorrow is ever-changing. We introducing the new thinkers, doers, innovators, and trailblazers who paint the future of what it will mean to be a professional. The South Pole Station on the high plateau of Antarctica where the sun shines continuously for six months of the year and completely disappears for the other six. In the long night, temperatures plummet below minus 70 degrees Celsius. The frozen plateau and its scientific research station are buffeted by blizzards and covered in snow, but the air is as dry as dust, and when the wind drops, it's crystal clear. Only around 50 people remain here for the winter in total isolation and complete darkness for months on end. When the last of the summer residents leave, the scientists and support staff who stay, well, they have an annual tradition. A back-to-back movie screening of The Thing. It's a sci-fi horror story about researchers trapped on a base in Antarctica and being hunted by a parasitic monster from outer space. First up on this annual movie night, 1951's The Thing from Another World. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Then the 1982 version full of bad special effects and cheesy dialogue. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. The showstopper, the one guaranteed to keep you up at night, is the 2011 remake. Either someone miraculously healed themselves, or someone is not who they say they are. Some of the scientists who endured the long dark winter in Antarctica in 2017, who braved those film screenings on their first night of isolation, They were at the South Pole hunting for an extraterrestrial much, much darker than the thing. So dark, in fact, there's no way to see it. And yet, they were there to take a photo of it. The South Pole Station is one of eight of the most desolate, windswept scientific sites in the world, dry as bones and sitting high above the clouds. And from these sites, humanity has been able to see the unseeable. Sierra Negra in Mexico, the Black Mountains. Pico del Veleta in southern Spain, at the end of the highest paved road in Europe. Mauna Kea in Hawaii, a dormant volcano steeped in mythology that sits mainly underwater. Measured from its base, it's the highest mountain in the world. The other four sites sit in equally extreme parts of the world. The Andes in Chile, an iceberg-studded bay in Greenland, the enormous mountains of Arizona. And at each site, a giant telescope almost as tall as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Linked together, they essentially create one massive telescope, the size of the Earth itself, something called the Event Horizon Telescope. And in 2017, their massive lenses were all trained on one spot. I'm Bongani Bingwa, 
and this is The Professional, a podcast from ProfMed about how the world of work is changing in new and surprising ways. In this episode, we get sucked into the vortex of the space-time continuum. We're learning about how technology is helping reveal some of the universe's darkest secrets, finding out how a team of international scientists managed to snap the greatest shot of them all, a photo of something unimaginably enormous that we can't even see. Ever since Professor Roger Dean was a child, he's been interested in things that have been around for, well, almost forever, since the start of everything. He spent endless nights staring up at the crystal clear skies of the northern free state, at stars that burst into being just after the Big Bang. By night, Velcombe has so wonderful, wonderful skies, um, beautiful views of the Milky Way, and indeed, I spent many of those evenings peering up and thinking, well, what, what next? What am I going to do? What Roger eventually did end up doing was to help the whole world see the unseeable. Strange and fascinating celestial behemoths with such strong gravity that even light can't escape their pull. Black holes. The ultimate space weirdos. Black holes are like teenage goths lurking on the celestial playground, dark, moody, and pretty hard to understand from the outside. We've been reasonably sure that they exist ever since Albert Einstein first predicted them back in 1916. But until early 2019, more than a hundred years later, we still had no idea what one actually looked like mainly because black holes are, well, completely dark. The fact that they hoover up light like a supermassive vacuum cleaner means scientists can't study them like they do the stars or galaxies or the rest of the universe. Roger is one of the people who helped us see one for the very first time. A black hole, by definition, is a, is a region of space-time where nothing including light can escape. So it's a sort of one-way trapdoor out of the universe. It, so that image represents the last bit of light that is in our universe before exiting um, into this black hole, which is a bit of a, an odd concept. I mean, some, of, some people have described it as the gates of hell. You've got this ring of fire surrounding this final patch. And I think people, that, that grabs people, and, you know, grabs your attention. This is, this is something very extreme. So how do you study something you can't even see? For Roger and a team of hundreds of international scientists, the answer is, it's complicated. Like, seriously complicated. In fact, complicated doesn't even begin to describe this quest of theirs to get the ultimate shot, to capture humanity's first ever image of a black hole. To do that you have to make the sharpest image possible. And to do that, you have to create a telescope that is essentially the size of the Earth. Now, you can't, you can't build that, but what you can do is you can synthesize that. You can make a virtual telescope that size. So it was a huge technical challenge combined with scientific ambition 
and it's just remarkable that it was pulled off. And a team of over 200 scientists, five different continents, about 25 countries and regions. Um, it, it was yeah, definitely my scientific highlight so far. What it took to finally snap this intergalactic photo was a decades-long global effort by some of our brightest minds, a two-year process to develop the image and some technology they had to invent along the way. So these aren't just um, eight telescopes at six different geographic locations or, or any geographic locations. They are at some of the most extreme places on the Earth. The telescopes are on top of volcanoes in Hawaii, in the Andes, uh, in Mexico, the South Pole, right at the South Pole. Um, in Greenland. In Greenland as well. So... Um, these are extreme sites, and it's, it's quite appropriate, I think, that you have to go to the extremes of the Earth in order to take a photograph of one of the extremes of nature, a black hole. And these telescopes, they're all sitting at extremely high altitudes, literally above the clouds. The reason it has to be at extreme sites is we essentially have to be above the weather, get as close to where uh, jet planes are, are flying. Um, so if you do that, you get above the, basically the water vapor in, in the air. So you've got these enormous machines perched in some of the highest, driest places in the world, all linked together. Massive lenses, all trained on a black hole in a galaxy far, far away. But even with all that power, back in 2017, there was only a tiny window to take the shot the scientists were after. Because the weather had to be clear enough at all the sites at the same time. It's actually a two-week period. Because the weather is so variable and you need it to be just right at every site, we get a two-week window. And in that two-week window, we get five opportunities to say go, no go. Where go is let's observe for the next 12 hours, 12 to 24 hours. And so there were five, five times there were decisions made to go. And fortunately, we got it in the bag four times. So it's not just one image. The, the experiment was repeated four times over those two weeks. And there are four images of this black hole that are all remarkably consistent with one another. When you see this photo that everyone is making such a fuss about, that basically took two years to stitch together and understand that hundreds of scientists slaved over for years and years... It looks weird, a bit like a big, blurry, neon-orange donut. That fuzziness, it's not very surprising, since this particular black hole is 500 million trillion kilometers away. The fact that we can see it at all is insane, but we can, mainly because it's 3 million times the size of the Earth. So it's 6.5 billion times the mass of our sun, but squeezed into basically the size of our solar system and smaller. Um, so it's, it's an extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily large mass in an extraordinarily small region of space-time. Um, and yes, essentially the ring of, of fire that you're seeing in that image is um, very, very hot gas that's in the immediate vicinity of the black hole. So you can't image the black hole because nothing comes out of it. But you can see the very, very hot energetic phenomena that are happening in the immediate vicinity. And that's, that's the image that we're seeing. And what we do see is this halo of light, 
a swirling, seething sea of superheated gas that's burning up as it falls into this perfectly round hole. And it's brighter than all the billions of other stars in this faraway galaxy combined. That's why we can see it, even from our little blue planet. So where does Roger Dean fit into all of this? How did that young boy from Velcom in the Free State end up working on a groundbreaking international effort to expand our understanding of the universe? He'd known he wanted to study the stars since he was a kid. But his parents? They weren't too keen on the idea. I, w I was always fascinated and very interested in, in going down the astronomy path. And when I arrived at university, I wanted to study astronomy. My parents actually encouraged me not to. Um, and I think this is, for, for many of the slightly more off-the-wall career paths, yeah. you will encounter many um, people that will give you sound advice in their view. But you've ultimately got to decide for yourself what you want to do. Roger started out studying electrical engineering. But one day, he decided to start taking classes on what he was really interested in. It was halfway through my electrical engineering undergraduate degree that I, I started hearing about the Square Kilometre Array project and the Meerkat Telescope project in the Karoo. Um, and this inspired me to say, hey, I've always been interested in this. Let me just pick up a few undergraduate courses in astronomy, which were being offered at the University of Cape Town at the time. And let me see, let me see how it goes. I mean, I'm interested in this. Let me, let me figure out if it's actually what's behind the curtain. Let me go a little bit further and put some effort in. So I finished my electrical engineering degree, but I actually also finished all the undergraduate astronomy courses during that time. And when it came to the end of my undergrad and the decision of what to do next, do I now become an engineer, a professional engineer and just get a job? Or do I go a little bit further down the rabbit hole? Um, so I decided to do a master's in astronomy. And following that, I was pretty hooked. He ended up doing his PhD at Oxford University. And just at the time that he was getting his career going as an astrophysicist, something happened that propelled him into a project he could never have dreamed of when he was growing up. The hunt for the black hole. It was just the most exhilarating feeling to be a part of this. When I came back from Oxford in 2012, I started a postdoc at the University of Cape Town and I heard about this project that was going on in, in Europe and in the United States and um, I just wanted to be a part of it. But at that stage, I had no idea. And then in 2014, I got a lucky break and I'm, I managed to get invited into this, uh, to their annual meeting and I joined the team. So I've only been a part of the team for about five years but some on the team have dedicated every fiber of their being to this project for the last 25 years. And what drew me to, to it was that it was so ambitious. The piece of the puzzle that Roger helped with to snap the ultimate shot was creating a complex computer simulation of the enormous Event Horizon Telescope so that scientists could better understand the data that was coming from the real thing. But the process wasn't all smooth sailing through the night skies. It took about two years to crunch together all the data to create the cosmic photo that changed the way we see our universe. 
I think many would agree with me within the Event Horizon Telescope collaboration that, that the image, as we refer to it, came a lot sooner than we expected. And as a result, a lot of the techniques that we needed to actually process this and convince the world and particularly the scientific community that we'd done a good job and this was robust, this wasn't just our idea of what it should look like, um, was, was actually there. So it was a lot of effort to process about four petabytes of data, um, a lot of effort in um, uh, basically developing the techniques required to do that. And then a lot of effort to work with this team spread across five continents. I mean, telecoms at 1 a.m. in the morning, um, that sort of thing is commonplace within the collaboration that, that is literally spread across the globe. Our telescopes are spread across the globe and our expertise is spread across the globe. Roger's bit of cosmic luck in all of this is that there's never been a better time to be an astrophysicist in South Africa. For one thing, we've got the meerkat. Now, the meerkat is a very different beast to a meerkat, those cute little critters on their hind legs. The meerkat is a radio telescope similar to the ones that helped capture the black hole shot, made up of a network of 64 enormous dishes dotted about the Northern Cape. And it's already taking insanely detailed and stunning images of our galaxy from the dusty Karoo. You're going to be seeing many and have seen many young South African astronomers pulling off wonderful, wonderful discoveries, especially with the telescopes that we now have operating on the continent. So the Meerkat telescope in the Karoo, um, there, you know, there is a huge group of young South Africans that are using that that are incredibly data savvy, that are processing this data and, 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 and making images of the universe in a way that we've never seen before. So, you know, I'm really just, just one of many that is coming through the ranks. One day, the meerkat will end up feeding into what's being built as the world's biggest ever radio telescope. It's called the Square Kilometer Array. And if and when it's completed, it's going to be able to pick up even more detail than the Event Horizon Telescope. It will be using the same technique of combining signals from telescopes in different places pointed at the same image at the same time. And when the SKA starts spitting out masses of data and images of its own, we're going to have to find new ways of processing it. So astronomy has a big data problem. Uh, that's said as a as a, as a problem usually, posed as a problem, but it, it's more of an opportunity, I see, to make ourselves even more relevant to more day-to-day -day, um, tech. So we measure, uh, we, we make images of huge patches of the sky, unlike that black hole image where you just see one thing right at the center. We actually make images typically um, of huge swaths of sky, very, very deep. So we have millions and millions of objects, each of which has, uh, you know, hundreds to thousands of characteristics. And so what we are doing by training up young students to, to process these data and, and go after astronomical challenges, they are in the same time building up a whole lot of um, transferable skills, as, as some would call them, uh, so that they can actually uh, go into any kind of field which pose the exact same kinds of challenges. Characterizing a galaxy uh, by, you know, automating, uh, automating an algorithm that can classify the shapes of, of certain galaxies is exactly the sort of problem that a Facebook engineer faces on a, on a daily basis. So these skills are intimately related. It's just that our, 
our data challenges are in many in many circumstances even more immense than a Facebook or a Google because of the the huge images that we make in the universe. So this gigantic project that South Africa is involved in, Roger doesn't see it as being just about the stars. He thinks it's going to be good for the country and the world in a whole lot of ways. If you're just wanting to look at sort of pure economic benefit, uh, take take away all the romanticism of science and all the philosophical drivers of science, just look at pure economic development. Astronomy is a high tech uh, discipline. It requires. Um, us being on the bleeding edge of the fourth industrial revolution, it requires to to deal with big data in in a in a in a, a smart way. So the square kilometer array will be will produce more data than global internet traffic today, just in a few years' time. For example, it'll have larger archives than Facebook and Google combined. So it is a big check driver, and evidence of that is you use your phone, you're on Wi-Fi. That came from radio astronomy. So it, you know the the impact might not be immediate but it will open up billion dollar and trillion dollar industries down the line. So 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 that's a you know that's an economic argument and I I don't think anyone can really argue with that. Where would the world be without Wi-Fi? But I you know the, the answers I and what drives me are the, are the philosophical um you know we are human we are here to understand both ourselves our inner universe but also the outer universe and what makes up I mean we are literally star stuff. Um we we are forged in in the cores of stars that exploded many many billions of years ago, um, and to me a, a major major driver is understanding that process and 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 our place in the universe. Most of the technology that we need to keep up with the data the SKA will spit out at us hasn't been invented yet. Just like Roger couldn't have imagined what he'd be doing now when he was still at school. The kids of today are going to be working on stuff we don't even know about yet. And that means young people need to start thinking differently about that age-old question. What are you going to do when you grow up? Don't just think about going for a specific degree to get a specific job. Think about the kinds of skills you want to develop in the 21st century in an era when things are changing so dramatically, particularly uh, the fourth uh, industrial revolution and, and, and the kinds of things that artificial intelligence and machine learning, those the, the opportunities that those bring. So think about the skills that you want to develop and pick pick what you study in line with that rather than having a preconceived destination because things are just going to change dramatically over the next few years. And I think astronomy has a way of inspiring people to think a little more laterally and be a bit braver in that regard. So what's possible when we stand on the shoulders of giants and build on the knowledge we've gained so far, all the way from Galileo to Albert Einstein and beyond? So there are questions that are out there right now, like, are we alone in the universe? A young astronomer can get involved in that immediately. We know of that question. But then what really fascinates me are the questions we haven't yet asked because we haven't made the discoveries that enable us to ask the following question. So, you know, in 1904, if a, a young mathematician or cosmologist who, you know, they were on the cusp of, uh, Einstein was on the cusp of uh, publishing, publishing his work in 1905, that that question wasn't even there yet, um, and yet things things evolved dramatically after that. So, to me, you know, there are amazing questions that are fundamental to our understanding of the universe, uh, to our place as humans in the universe. But then there are questions that will only come about 
following the kinds of discoveries that a telescope like Meerkat will make. For Roger, those questions that we haven't even asked yet, the things we don't know that we don't know, those are the greatest mysteries of all. And those are the ones who's hoping the next generation of scientists, astronomers and data crunchers will ask and answer right here in South Africa. I'm Bongani Bingwa. You've been listening to The Professional, a podcast from ProfMed about jobs that didn't exist just a few years ago. We hope you enjoyed that introduction to the new thinkers, doers, innovators, and trailblazers. Paint the future of what it will mean to be a professional. The Professional is a new podcast brought to you by ProfMed. We understand that the professional of tomorrow is ever-changing. 